Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 840 of Locked On Raptors for uh, Monday. Yeah, it's Monday, December the 7th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. You can also find the show at Locked On Raptors as well as on every single podcast provider that you love. Uh, yeah, subscribe, rate, review the stuff we always ask you to do. It's very much appreciated when you take the small amount of time it takes to do such things. And you can also do that for the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network. We got tons of stuff for you to check out. And uh, like you literally could listen to podcasts all day long if you wanted to. All podcasts courtesy Locked On. There's just uh, it's an endless supply. So go find the shows covering the teams that you care about and uh, support those ones as well. All right, on today's show, we are now starting off an annual tradition here on Locked on Raptors with the pressing preseason questions facing your Toronto Raptors. Usually we do this in like September. Obviously, circumstances have changed and we have had to move it to December the 7th to begin this, uh, again, annual tradition. We did it before the bubble as well because, uh, hey, there's lots of questions facing the team every year. and This is a pretty good way to hammer them all out. So... Joining me today to dive into our first pressing question, which is all about whether or not the Raptors can fix their moribund half-court offense. It is our pal Vivek Jacob. What's going on, buddy? Nothing much. Ready to start another week. We've had Raptors media week go on for a bit. This is extremely weird compared to what we're used to, where it's just one day and everyone's talking and everyone's giving their thoughts. But in some ways, it makes life easier as well, just getting a couple every day. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. just getting our feet wet because let's face it it's been a bit of a roller coaster ever since the league came back let's be honest do you wear pants when you're on these zoom calls with the uh, with the nba players um more more recently i have <laughs> I, because because it's it's that kind of weather now where it's hoodies and you know sweatpants at home as well right right <laughs> as opposed my, my... to being in the nude of course Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, and my my desk where I work is right by a window, so it kind of it gets a bit chilly too, right mm-hmm. by it. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, a few more pants uh, these days, but most of the time I'm in shorts. That's, we're we're glad to hear it. Uh, I'm sure the people on the Zoom calls are also glad to hear it. Although I, I Alex I will be most glad to hear it. He <laughs> has had a thing for my calves for a long time that <laughs> remains unexplained. oh what a start um as mentioned on today's podcast we are diving all into the raptors half court offense and whether or not it can fix itself because of course it was very much the problem in the raptors series against the celtics and uh saw them you know it really was a problem down to the last possession where things broke down in a half court possession and they lost the game on that possession I said possession three times in a row there. A good English, Sean. Good start to the week. Either way, 
We're going to dive into that. Uh, first, though, I guess there was a couple news and notes from the week. Uh, you know, not much. Giannis still hasn't signed. For some reason, my whole timeline, and I'm going to blame Kate, uh, <laughs> wonderful Raptors Twitter follow Kate, uh, for drumming up this paranoia that Giannis was going to sign the Supermax on his birthday yesterday. Uh, he didn't sign it yesterday, apparently, and there's been no reporting that he's signing it. So uh, I guess we're in the clear and everything is back on track. I don't know. Who knows? It's all very confusing and unsure. But uh, that was sort of dominant of the timeline over the weekend. Also, the schedule came out. You could not possibly get me to care about the schedule release. It is an order in which the teams will play games. A lot was made of the Raptors having a heavy travel schedule to be expected, considering they play in a division that is nowhere close to all the teams that in which they play the division with. And they are going to have to go West Coast, you know, tripping and have a couple of road trips out there. Not entirely surprising. I would imagine their schedule will be a lot less rigorous in the back part of the schedule once we get that released in March. Um, and then there was also the, the, for some reason, the logo that people got mad about, like the Raptor biting the palm tree <laughs> as though Tampa Bay is now beginning its phase of stealing the Raptors from Toronto. Um, I don't know. Any of these things inspire you to have any great feelings, Vivek? I, I, full disclosure, a uh, friend of the show and editor at Raptors HQ, Daniel Reynolds, asked me to write a post about the logo. And I just like I told him straight up, I cannot muster an opinion on this. I don't care. You go ahead, Reynolds. Run with that stuff. Uh, <laughs> any strong feelings one way or another on the schedule, on the logo and all of it from the weekend that was? Nothing major. I mean, for the logo, I can understand why fans feel very attached to the team and sort of, you know, feel a bit of a disconnect now if, if they're going to have that logo around. But I think from a Raptor standpoint, from a franchise standpoint, it's good PR. It helps them ingratiate themselves with the Tampa fan base. And if they're trying to make themselves feel at home as much as possible, I think it's a smart move. And if, if, you know, the people in the area gravitate a bit more towards the team because of little things like that. And they feel a bit more comfortable Then I'm all for it. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's not worth getting angry about. I know people are being very territorial about the Raptors. It's an unfortunate situation, but Tampa is not stealing the Raptors, regardless of how many like dumb galaxy brain takes that get retweeted into my timeline where it's like, what if they just relocated the Raptors to Tampa? How much money would the league lose? The answer is a lot. So they're not going to do it. And it's dumb that this is even <laughs> being considered. So I'm not going to consider it anymore. Relax. Uh, they'll be back soon enough. Uh, once the pandemic hell is over, hopefully. Um, yeah. So Vivek, let's get into the half court offense. Shall we? And sort of first run down where things were last year before we dive into sort of looking ahead of this season and what, we can expect um so uh, you might recall the half court offense was not the strength of the raptors last season they were i believe the number one or two transition offense in terms of efficiency as well as in total volume of points scored in transition they were excellent and that was a big you know byproduct of their defense being so good forcing so many misses so many turnovers and going back the other way and ramming the ball down the other team's throat re repeatedly from all over the place the half court was obviously a different story you know, without Kawhi Leonard, there's not that easy, okay, just go get a bucket type of guy on the team. Pascal Siakam had his moments, but also had his moments of struggle. Uh, you know, Kyle Lowry, I think, 
kind of showed that he could still get the Raptors a bucket when needed, especially in that Celtics series where he would just kind of launch himself into Daniel Tice and score around him and, you know, kind of felt the moment of, all right, we need a bucket. We haven't scored in six minutes. I'm just going to do it. It was nice to see him pull that out. I'm not sure that's a po- every possession thing you can count on with Kyle. Uh, it wasn't last year, and I'm not sure it is going forward. And then you had Fred Van Vliet, who obviously is a little bit better off the ball and can kind of get a little bit dribble happy and dribble into nowhere and get stuck. You know, it was a bit of a mixed bag on that side of the floor. I believe it depends, you know, based on the, the site you're looking at, but they were anywhere between 15th and 18th in terms of overall half-court offense efficiency. Some sites, you know, adjust for garbage time and things like that, but still bottom half of the league, uh, right around the middle is kind of where the Raptors sat in on their half-court offense. So Vivek, based on what happened last year and what is now on the roster here, before we get into the sort of nitty-gritty of it, what do you expect? Do you think there's a chance the Raptors' half-court offense gets better? Will it be the same? Or will it get even worse this coming season with a couple of key departures in the front court? Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see. It's probably the biggest test that they'll have this upcoming season because so much of it hinges on what can take their key players to the next level. You look at someone like Pascal Siakam, if he gets his three-point shot going and a bit of that mid-range going, it changes the dynamics of the offense uh, significantly. If Fred Van Vliet adds a floater game, a mid-range game, that changes the dynamics significantly as well. OJ Ananobi, if he has more of that in-between game, we saw, you know, a sprink- sprinkles of it here and there over the course of the season. Last year, although he was very much within that sort of the uh, Houston Rockets uh, shot spectrum of dunks and threes. And so if we see a bit more of that, uh, then I think it allows the type of spacing that can function well in a half court set. Now, the biggest factor in all of this is going to be Chris Finch. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing that I came away with from his press conference was when he talked about adding that randomness to the offense, the same way the Raptors have randomness in their defense and can go to a lot of different looks that's something that needs to be brought to the offense as well. And he talked a lot about cutting Nick nurse last season talked about how there wasn't enough cutting. And so if he can bring that to the table and get them some easy baskets that way, uh, that's going to open some things up and let's face it. Some of the randomness is going to have to come from the mid range. Again, I can't stress it enough. It's something that will just alleviate some of the pressure on three-point shooters from dives to the rim and that type of thing. So if you just give a defender two places to guard, that's the three-point line and the rim, then it makes their uh, schemes that much easier to execute. But if they're now having to think of all these random places in which they can get hurt, it, it makes it that much more of a challenge in my opinion. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Chris Finch as well, because I want to dive a little bit more into him in just one second here. But before we continue on, I want to tell everybody about our friends over at Built Bar, who make the best protein bar in the world. It's incredible. They have 18 amazing flavors for you, six new ones, as well as their original lineup of 12 flavors. Some of my favorite from the entire collection include orange, toffee, almond, mint brownie. The new apple almond crisp is really good as well. You really can't go wrong. All of their flavors have their 
quality and good attributes. I don't know. It's like a really good lineup uh, of, of players, except it's bars that are delicious. They're covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew, and they're great for the health-conscious person. You could lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, great for keto diets as well. I like to have a built bar when I'm going to be working out because a, I don't work out very often. So it's a shock to the system. When I do it, I don't need to be having a full stomach when I go do that as well. The built bar is perfect. I have it before I have some energy in me and it doesn't weigh me down or anything like that. Right now, when you go to builtbar.com and use the promo code locked on, you're going to get 20% off your next order. Again, that's the promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. All right, Vivek, I want to pick up on the note of Chris Finch. Uh, of course, you know, brought in. He's a pal of Nick Nurse from back in the day uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the British Basketball League, G League. They have a long history together. And he is noted as a bit of an offensive wizard. He spoke last week, I believe on Friday, and sort of talked, uh, as you were alluding to there, about sort of introducing some randomness to the Raptors' offense, which is kind of interesting because... Nick Nurse's offense, I think, has also kind of always been prided on randomness and sort of just giving everybody a chance to make something happen. I mean, think back to when he first started out and Danny Green was out there, you know, <laughs> talking about how, oh, wow, I've never gotten to dribble this much. Obviously, Danny Green dribbling was not the greatest thing in the world, but it did kind of speak to the empowering nature of the Raptors offense, where it is about sort of all angles being able to attack. And look, I, I think when Nurse was hired, the expectation, because he was sort of credited with being behind the 2017-18 culture reset team and the offense that really took over there and became actually sustainable into the postseason in a way their previous offenses were not, I think he was sort of lauded as, as this offensive genius. But really, I think it's pretty clear that his strengths lie on the defensive side of the ball. You know, the Raptors are obviously quite good at defense. He's been an innovator when it comes to defense. The rest of the league is kind of following what he's doing. And the Raptors offense has been fine, right? It, it's been, you know, a little bit ho-hum in the half court. Yes, transitions is fine and good, but it's kind of hard not to be good in transition when, again, you're forcing turnovers and misses the way the Raptors do and have a genius like Kyle Lowry and one of the fastest big men in the league and Pascal Siakam running the floor. It's kind of set up for success there. The half court has been, you know, fine. Like I said, they were good with Kawhi, obviously, because Kawhi is Kawhi. Last year, they had their moments, but it's still kind of bogged down when things matter the most. When Pascal Siakam was not at his best, they really became kind of rudderless and a lot of bailing out at the end of the clock with Marcus Saul getting a ball at the elbow with 12 seconds to go and trying to find something. You know, they're kind of, I guess, prone to shooting slumps. And if they're not hitting their threes, things get pretty dark as well. And then even in crunch time, I mean, Nick Nurse really does not seem to script a lot of things in game. And he has certainly drawn up some excellent end of game stuff as well. But for the most part, he's pretty conservative. How many times we've seen Norman Powell try to take a three from 30 feet, you know, dead on to end a game because of the security of knowing he's not going to turn it over when he ISOs that high up. Um, you know, I think there's certainly room for improvement there. And Chris Finch comes in and to me, Vivek, it'd be cool to see him just kind of get the keys to the offense and really get to unleash these guys and allow nurse to continue his defensive mastery um, in terms of things that can actually be applied from Finch. You mentioned the cutting. Um, you think there's some other things that could change about the Raptors offense that maybe make it a little bit more potent in the half court through Chris Finch. Well, again, with the randomness, it, it comes down to rounding out individual players games as well. Right. And making them, 
more capable and trusting them to shoot the shots that they're most comfortable with. And so someone like a Malachi Flynn, who's extremely comfortable in the mid range, you got to encourage those shots with someone uh, like Pascal Siakam. He needs to rediscover that three point shot with uh, someone like Fred Van Vliet. Again, it's going to come down to that in between game where, you know, the bigs aren't just selling out on defending the rim. Once he gets that step inside the three point line and, so those are the things that, that I'm looking for uh, outside of the cutting. But beyond that, I would say Aaron Baines' three-point shooting. We talked about Marcus Hall and how he can help uh, sort of facilitate the offense and how he keeps them in motion. But there were also shots that he needed to take that he didn't take. And he he's just that unselfish. Aaron Baines, he's already talked about Nurse wanting him to be aggressive. And that's something that I would look out for when he's got an open shot. I ex- expect him to uh, put it up there. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's averaging five, six, three point attempts a game. And maybe that's something that helps open up the offense as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think the big man question is interesting because it, I think it is sort of assumed that there will be a bit of a step back because Abaka was such a security blanket with his scoring. You know, his mid-range obviously was kind of the only guy who would offer those easy mid-range twos for the team. And then you would have Gasol who could sort of orchestrate stuff and get other people good looks. I don't think you're expecting to see that from Baines or Alex Len, but I do think you'll get a couple things sort of back on the other end with those guys. Like you mentioned, Baines is going to be a very eager shooter. I would assume sort of replicating, I think the Abaka, you know, freedom with which he kind of jacked up threes. I would assume Baines will shoot even more threes. He's not much of a two point scorer. He, I think he's just going to kind of, you might as well just put him back a couple feet and take those threes in the pick and pop. But you know, with Len, he's a good score around the basket, which the Raptors haven't really had. You know, Ibaka, yes, he can be a dive man, but that's really not where his bread was buttered. Um, you know, he obviously had his his moments around the rim, but for the most part, Len, I think, is a more refined around the rim scorer. And, you know, two-point baskets were kind of hard to come by for the Raptors last season. And having a just a dude you can kind of, like, throw it up to, like Len on the dive... That's going to be, I think, a pretty nice little thing to have in the back pocket. And B- Bain's the same, right? I mean, he, he's not like a traditional like sky up and throw down lobs type of finisher, but he's totally fine and reasonable as a dive man who can finish around the basket. They like, I don't think they've had a guy who can finish with the efficiency that those guys can around the basket since they had Jonas. Obviously, Jonas was his own level of efficient, but I think this kind of splits the difference between Jonas and Abaka slash Gasol. You lose the passing, obviously, but maybe some of that sort of variance and randomness that Finch is talking about can kind of help make up for some of that, as long along with sort of steps from OG, who talked about in his media availability, having the ball in his hands more often. Pascal as well, obviously sort of refining his game. I think they can make some of that back. I just, I, I wonder if we might see a bit of a change in sort of the hierarchy of the offense, Vivek. And, and that kind of takes me back to Fred Van Vliet, who, you know, we saw a lot is you know, going to have the ball in his hands. He helps keep Kyle fresh and that's always nice to have, but it did seem a lot like a lot last year at times where it really felt like Kyle should have the ball and and the Raptors desperately needed something. It would still be on Fred to create. And I wonder if Chris Finch with sort of the keys to the offense will say, all right, um, Kyle, we need something here. You are going to orchestrate this possession and Fred, you're going to do your amazing roving off ball thing. And that is just going to be much healthier for everybody. 
you know, you have that, you know, you're not like trying to figure out what Fred is anymore. He's paid. He's going to be on the team going forward. You're not trying to convince him to stick around by giving him an enormous role. I wonder if maybe that plays into this, into this as well, where, you know, Finch kind of plays the hits a little bit more often. Do you think that's possible? And is that a way the Raptors can milk a little bit more out of their half court offense? I could see that happening, but I mean, again, from the randomness standpoint, I could see, Finch also saying long-term Fred Van Vliet, we need you to be capable of doing these things. There's only right. so long that we can rely on Kyle Lowry. So I, I think they might even just try to force it out of him and push him to be a better playmaker and uh, do some of the things that we haven't seen from him so far and in the hopes that it is uh, something that benefits them long-term. One quick thing I just want to touch on with Alex Lynn. Yeah, yeah. for sure. He's going to help on, on those dives to the basket, but during his press conference, he did say that he is comfortable providing the Raptors a bit of both. He highlighted the 2018-19 season with the Atlanta Hawks where they asked him to shoot more threes and he shot 36% on 2.6 attempts. Mm -hmm. And since then, they've sort of reverted to getting him closer to the basket. The Kings, in, in the in the games that he played for them, they pretty much had him exclusively at the basket. So it's just a question of what the Raptors want out of him as well. And if they're looking for more spacing, I could see sets where he's up, up top uh, once again. So I... Yeah. I, I so again, oh, no, no, I was just going to say, again, with the randomness, I, I think they're going to have a lot of different looks. With Fred Van Vliet, I think you make a good point about... Uh, you know, maybe not having to worry so much about the contract and his long-term tenure and things like that. But uh, I think that's more from his perspective, right? And so maybe the other way to look at it is now he's going to get put in these uncomfortable positions and asked to do a, a few different things. And he's not worried about making the mistakes now because he's so secure in his deal. Totally. Uh, it's man. Fred is going to be so fascinating this year. I, I'm quite excited to see how his role sort of develops from where it was last year is going to be more of a continuing of the passing of the torch. Will it be reined in a little bit? I am uh, I'm quite curious and obviously we will keep an eye on that. Uh, just before we move on to kind of close this out and talk about some areas where there could be, you know, some potential surprise improvements from guys who might be able to sort of milk a little bit more and also kind of come up with some final predictions for how we think the offense is going to look. Uh, just a reminder that uh, all week on the show, we're going to be doing these pressing preseason questions. We were supposed to have Sandy from Dishes and Dimes on today's podcast. Scheduling got in the way of that, but Sandy will be on at some point this week and uh, we'll also get Katie involved and uh, it'll be great. Also, Kyle Lowry talks today, so I'd imagine we'll be breaking down Kyle Lowry speaking on tomorrow's podcast, so keep an eye out there. All right, so uh, rare instance on the podcast. We've got some breaking news in the break uh, as we were recording, and uh, so we'll talk about that now, and we'll finish up the conversation in just a sec about the half-court offense, but uh, reports coming down from the Raptors themselves that three members of the organization have tested positive for COVID-19. No spread of the rest of the organization was found. Those people are isolating per the protocols, per the team. Um, yeah, I guess this was to be expected, Vivek. Uh, we've seen other teams have COVID. I'm sure we're about to see the Houston Rockets have COVID after uh, James Harden's weekend out. Um, and if he ever shows up, and I don't think this is going to be the last instance of this. We had the positive test, uh, outbreak or the crazy numbers from last week, the 8.8% of the league testing positive. 
um, kind of reminds you that uh, maybe this is all not the best idea. And also that the sort of fate of the season is going to be very much tied up into all of this. I mean, three members of the team, that's not insignificant. We don't know if it's players, coaches, staff, whatever, but uh, we're 15 days from the start of the season. And I believe it's a 12 day minimum time away from the floor. If a player does test positive and that's assuming no symptoms, this is not great. This kind of sucks. Uh, yeah. Obviously, first off, hoping those three are able to recover yep. uh, completely and don't feel the effects, the symptoms to the degree that some people have felt it. Uh, we hope their families are safe. We don't know who it is. What we do know is that it is the, it is three members and so far, it has not spread to any of the other members. So that's something to be grateful for. But yeah, this is the reality of not being in a bubble anymore where mm-hmm. you're following extremely strict protocols. And Fred Van Vliet talked about it yesterday where, hey, yeah, everyone's got to hold themselves accountable and uh, do the best they can to prevent the spread of this virus. But in terms of policing themselves, there's only so much they can do. There's only so much time that they spend with each other and how that time is spent away from the court and away from the practice facility and whatnot is going to be virtually impossible to monitor. And, you know, again, I thought he made an important point about testing positive, not necessarily being an indictment of someone. If, if they're just going to pick up groceries or right now, you know, they're all trying to find a place to live yeah. and, and they just happen to pick it up. Then the situation is what it is. It's different. As he said, if someone's out there with, without a mask, having a pool party and whatnot, uh, then yeah, obviously there's a conversation that needs to be had, but uh, obviously there's very little we know right now and we, we can just Hope for the best, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a really difficult season to manage. There's obviously a reason why only the first half of the schedule has been even put out and we'll, we'll see how, how this goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's um, I mean, it's going to happen again for sure. And like you said, it doesn't necessarily mean anyone on the Raptors was being irresponsible. It's hard to say, but you know, it, it, it's, you're in Tampa Bay. You're in Florida. I, the map of America being all blood red from how they're handling the pandemic is real. And you can be doing your best and it can still permeate because it's a virus. It doesn't give a shit about how much you are being safe. And all you can do is kind of give yourself the best opportunity to avoid it. But when you're in a place that's crawling with it, I guess this is to be expected. It's, um, yeah, you know, hopefully maybe the start of the season, you can kind of, you know, get the stuff. I don't want to say get it out of the way or anything like that, but maybe some early positives kind of re-impress the importance of being entirely precautious and being super careful. I don't know, but um, I mean, we, we're going to like do predictions and stuff. We're going to do over-unders or we're going to try to predict how the season's going to go. But really, I feel like more than anything else, the season's going to be determined, at least the, the regular season standings are going to be determined by which teams avoid getting the plague and which teams, uh, you know, get a bunch of cases, right? And so 
it's uh, obviously something we'll keep an eye on. It's a bummer for sure. And hopefully, like you said, everyone on the team who contracted it is okay. Hopefully no one else contracts it and they will move on from this the way apparently all sports teams are just doing right now. Um, we sh- I guess we can finish off the conversation we were having there, Big V, um, about the, the half-court offense. I mean, you know, it, it's like we said, there, there's a lot of different things that are sort of pulling in, in different directions from last year, some stuff that'll be the same. I do want to ask about a couple guys who may sort of have a really big say in how this all transpires. Number one's Pascal Siakam, obviously, because he is, you know, going to be the number one score. He's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. I would imagine they're going to task him with doing even more in year two of being the guy than he did in year one. Um, you know, obviously he had a lot of positive signs and some negative signs. He obviously spoke, I think on Friday, um, and talked about the mental toll of being in the bubble. And, uh, it was really nice to see him be as open as he was and as candid as he was and, uh, as vulnerable as he was about sort of the struggles he was going through. And I think it once again, highlights how absurd any sort of, um, you know, anything more than just criticism of the basketball he was playing how absurd and ridiculous and mean and cruel that was. And now he gets a chance to take over. It seems like he's in a good place and he's going to have a lot of responsibility. Is there a chance Pascal himself with the right steps, you know, playing, you know, as like a slightly improved version of what he was at his best moments last year. Can he kind of on his own fix the Raptors half court offense and make it a more efficient machine just, you know, through his own improvement in the mid range and his own improvement scoring around the basket, which used to be such a strength, but was not last year. Um, What do you think Pascal has to say about the growth of the half court offense this coming season? Yeah, I think the biggest things for him are going to be his handle and his three-point stroke. And whether it was the way teams were defending him or whatever it was, he shot significantly better against sub-500 teams than plus-500 teams. And if I remember correctly, it it was around 25% from three against those plus-500 teams. Now, part of that, of course, is the Raptors dealt with a lot of injuries last year. And so when key guys are missing, it just makes it that much easier to double up on the likes of Pascal. And the reason I say that uh, the ball handling is because on those drives to the basket, we saw the way teams were willing to sell out and uh, just, you know, scrap at the ball and swipe at the ball. And they were able to cause turnovers. And so if he can improve that handle and improve those kickouts and improve that overall ball distribution in terms of hitting shooters in their pockets or hitting cutters at the right time, I think that's going to open up the half court that much more. And so how he copes with those double teams are going to have a huge say in the Raptors half court offense. Because again, I've said this before, but those steps he took to pre-COVID right before uh, the season was suspended in those games against Sacramento and Utah and Golden State where you saw him making those next level reads now and really just teeing up guys in the fourth quarter and using his own gravity uh, to make others better. That's the type of step that if he makes in the half court consistently will take the Raptors to that next level. 
Yeah, I really wish you could just bottle the two games Pascal played against the Jazz last year and just get that every single night because <laughs> for some reason those matchups really stand out. I'm not sure if it was because the Jazz were particularly like predictable in their doubles or their defenders just weren't very good. I don't know what it was. I'll never forget speaking to uh, Podcast Network boss man David Locke before that game and saying, I don't think the Jazz have anyone to guard Pascal. And he said, oh, Royce O'Neal will do a good job. And then Royce O'Neal did not do a good job whatsoever. He got torched, and Pascal just carved apart the Jazz in both games. I think he had like five or six assists in both of those games, scored 30-plus. He was amazing, and probably two of his five best games all season long. And like it, it kind of shows that he does have that sort of instinct. I think it's, you know, there's a few different things that go into, into it, right? Obviously, some defenses are going to be more sort of elusive and more difficult to pin down than the Jazz were. Um, you know, sometimes it's going to be on Pascal to sort of, you mentioned the handle and sort of improving those counters that he can, tends to sort of fall into the pattern of using over and over again that become predictable and finding some different ones to to, to bust out. Um, but I'm pretty bullish on what Pascal can do this year. I think, you know, he's going to be surrounded by shooting a ton. He's going to be, I, I don't want to say he's going to be better without Marcus Gasol because Marcus Gasol makes everybody better. But I do wonder if maybe Pascal being used more as a hub of the offense, maybe he does get to do some of that elbow stuff that Gasol did before um, and just has like more responsibility more sort of ground on the floor that he gets to cover as the number one I wonder if maybe that's going to help him a little bit and kind of you know redefine the playmaking hierarchy a little bit to sort of you know all right well this is what I got to do and this is the stuff that I am doing in the offense to get us shots and um, you know I I wonder if that helps him out a little bit and you know the mid-range too I I think you know, you don't want him to become so reliant on the mid-range. And I think his, I can't remember who made this point, but it was a really good point. His like mid-range stroke is weird. It's not like a natural pull-up shot. The way I think you could say even OGs is a little bit more natural, right? It's just like a quick mm. balanced feet planted, pulls up from mid-range. It's obviously less of a, a shot that you want to see necessarily, but he kind of has that down, the, the fluidity of it. Whereas Siakam's a little bit more sort of, you know, off balance, he'll fade and stuff like that. Um, that's going to be a really interesting sort of, I think, pivot point for the Raptors offense because we've talked this entire episode about the the, the mid-range and the fact that they're going to have to milk that and mine it for anything they can get there. And Pascal feels like, outside of Kyle, kind of the guy to trust there. Um, do you, th- are, like, what are you, are you bullish on his mid-range jumper? Is it something that you just kind of like to see because it looks cool once in a while? Um, or, or sort of how do you feel about that with Pascal? I think when teams like the Boston Celtics are willing to defend him one-on-one and they're not going to cheat off, you know, certain guys in the corner or whatever it may be. And so that outlet isn't there, but the mid range is there, then yeah, he's got to just take it. But I think an important thing that you've hit on when, you know, you were talking about Mark and all those types of things is you have players now in place who are going to be looking for their offense more often. And so I think what that will allow for is when guys are more assertive and saying, okay, it is my turn now and recognizing their turn in the offense, that will help him uh, almost like an external externality effect where even I'm going back to Nick nurse's book and I'm thinking about, he owes me something by now, man, the number of times (laughs) I've mentioned it. But one of the good things he mentioned it was going back to that 1819 season and he was saying 
they were in a bit, bit of a rut and someone was like, Hey, you know what? We need to, we need to move the ball. Even if it's just for the sake of moving it and getting everyone a touch, we need to move it. And before anyone could really say anything else, Kawhi just sort of jumped in and said, Hey man, I am not moving the ball just for the sake of moving the ball. My job is to score the ball. If a double team comes, then I'll move it. And then it's your turn to score. And so I think you you'll have players now who are more in position to say when that kickout comes, yeah, it is my turn to score. OG is looking for more uh, in the offense when that ball gets to him. He should be saying, yeah, okay, it's my turn now. Pascal's done the hard part. If Pascal's kicking it out to Aaron Baines for for an open three, just shoot that shot. And so that consistency in other players just taking their shots will do a lot to open up and free up Pascal. Yeah, absolutely. I am uh, very excited to see Pascal's season. Go read our pal Louis Zatzman's piece about Pascal over Raptors Republic. He wrote a great breakdown of uh, how things could look for him and why he's pretty bullish on him this year as well. How could you not be bullish on Pascal freaking Siakam? I don't know how you could not be at this point. Um, another guy I'm kind of interested in, we don't need to spend too much time on this just because um, you know we're running long. And also, I don't think it's going to necessarily be that important at the start of the season but maybe by the end of it i think malachi flynn could kind of factor into improving the half court offense a little bit here just because he is so regarded as a pick and roll operator a guy who can score at all three levels um you know people throw out the fred van vliet comparison i don't think the fred van vliet comparison really fits at all frankly you know (laughs) he's a different offensive player he's a more refined ball handler he's a guy who um you know sees the half court in a little bit more of an advanced way, I think, uh, at least when Fred was coming out. And I think even now, I mean, it's his number one attribute. And so I wonder if maybe as he gets worked into the rotation a little bit more, if he can, um, you know, chip in a little bit and sort of help those bench lineups that, you know, really, really struggled last year to score. I mean, there were so many moments where, the bench was just hapless and would have to win their stints like four, two over six minutes just to be successful. I wonder if maybe Flynn can kind of help grease the wheels a little bit in the half court when he does play uh, as the season progresses. Uh, lastly, Vivek, before we wrap, um, you know, just overall thoughts. Do you think it will be better, worse, the same, much of the same this year in terms of the efficiency in the half court? I mean, like we said, they were between 15th and 18th, depending on the metric you look at in terms of half court scoring last year. Do you think they'll be in the same range? Man, I, I probably lean towards saying it's somewhere in the same range because even with the individual improvements, the experience factor that the Raptors lose out in the playoffs, I, I think that's significant. And so... Uh, yeah, they'll make gains in certain areas and be better for it in the long term. But right away, again, another thing I factor in is, you know, the, the fact that this was a shortened off season. So how much could the players really have improved? Right. Uh, so, yeah, overall, I think they'll be closer to the same in the half court. But I, I should say closer to the half court in what they were. Uh, in the regular season, I don't expect them to be as bad as they were against Boston. That was, that was, that was just hideous. Yeah, it was uh, some of the worst shit I've ever seen. <laughs> as we talked about <laughs> with the small lineup, uh, holding the other team to 83 points per 100 uh, didn't matter that much because they were uh, only scoring 89, and you can't be having that, uh, especially in the postseason. 
that will bring us to the end of a bit of an overlong podcast. But we had breaking news in the middle of the podcast, so I think it's justified. Either way, uh, Vivek, thank you so much for, for jumping on, buddy. Do you have anything that you would like to promote? The usual stuff uh, at Complex, just about getting started with my CBC stuff. That, that'll be uh, not as often because they're longer features, and so you probably get one a month from me from uh, on that. And on the soccer front, you've probably heard enough times by now where you just hate me. But if you're a soccer fan, if you're a Manchester United fan, go check out Red Couch Manx. It's available wherever you get your podcast. We break down every Manchester United match after it's done and hope you check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Go and check it out. Uh, and uh, we'll see. What's what's Man U doing right now? I guess they they, they won over the weekend. Oh, they won five or four in a row. Okay, that's problematic. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> usually I like to make fun of Man U, but they're doing all right lately. Not as good as Tottenham, of course. Uh, and they're a wonderkind duo of Harry Kane and Sung, uh, Sung Hyun Min. But, man... Uh, <laughs> Tottenham look great, man. Tottenham really look great. good. They're really good, and it's beautiful. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's gonna do it for today's show. We'll make fun of Man U next time. The big V's on. I'm sure they'll do something worth making fun of by then. Uh, you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Please uh, leave ratings and reviews. It's very much appreciated as well. And uh, we'll be back again tomorrow, probably to talk about Bobby Webster, who is addressing the media at 1.15 today and his update, I guess, on the three positive tests for the Raptors down in Tampa Bay. And we will continue on with our pressing preseason questions as well. Uh, pressing preseason question number two, uh, is the vaccine coming soon? Uh, <laughs> that won't actually be it, but uh, hopefully. Uh, that's, the pre- that's the pressing preseason question that lingers over the entire world. Anyway, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you again on Tuesday with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Now go listen to the Monday edition of Locked On NBA with Josh Lloyd.